Hi, and welcome to the Engineers HVAC podcast, where we share our HVAC design and application experience. My name is Tony Mormino with Insight Partners, and thanks so much for joining us. In this episode, we have Tony Abate, who is the CTO of Atmosphere Solutions, one of the world's leaders in creating healthier indoor air environments. In this episode, Tony shares with us the latest in IAQ technology and how that can be used to monitor and clean our indoor air. Thank you so much for listening. We hope that you enjoy. so much for joining the podcast. Today, my guest is Tony Abate. He is the CTO at Atmosair. Tony, how are you today? Great, Tony, and uh, thank you for uh, having me. Awesome. I'm so glad you're here. And we've, you know, we've been wanting to do a presentation on IEQ. And it's funny, I was thinking like, you know, I do a lot of presentations on psychometrics. And when I do that, eyes just glaze over from boredom. <laughs> like, we kind of get the same thing with IEQ, right? Like comes it's in the news, people kind of forget about it. Then it comes, it's in the news, and people kind of forget about it, right? Like, so in the pandemic, it was, everyone was talking about it, then everyone kind of, it, it that went away or, or diminished, and now, you know, we got the wildfires coming back, so it's all top of mind for people. And um, it's one of those things to me that, it, it's like psychometrics. It's kind of boring, and it's kind of dull when you're talking about it, but it's so super important, right? Like, it affects how much of our time is spent indoors, Tony? You were telling me, or I was reading one of your papers about that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we are obviously much more indoors than we ever were. Uh, our work lives, our home lives, um, even things that we do in between. If you're going to a, the grocery store or something of that nature, we're always indoors. And many mm -hmm. times we're indoors with other people. Um, you know, the air is something that people take for granted. You can't see it. Uh, hopefully you can't mm -hmm. smell it. So it's kind of hard to understand why it's affecting you. Um, yeah. I think lots of us believe if I have a nice clean home or a nice clean uh, office that the air comes with that. Um, yeah. but that's really not the case. Um, I think we all learned that a little bit in a different, uh, thing, which was, uh, water. Um, you know, when I was a kid and I'm sure you remember, you opened the tap up and you took a glass of water because that was thought to be just fine. Mm -hmm. But then we learned and now we see bottled water is very commonplace. I don't know if I've ever gone over some, uh, visited some office or gone to someone's home where they've handed me a glass of tap water anymore. Right, right. Because we've learned that putting purified water into our bodies is better for them. Hmm. I never thought of the the analogy with water. That makes a lot of sense. Well, think about what we do more than anything, and that's breathe. Mm -hmm. So you can live even days without water, but you can only live minutes without air. Mm -hmm. um, so we should be concerned about what we're putting into our bodies when it comes to the air. And uh, you mentioned the pandemic, and we've certainly seen some of the wildfire issues that have happened uh, very recently in different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. um, nature can kind of tell us that that clear, invisible stuff really isn't. And it's something that we need to think about. And uh, in my business, we're starting to see lots of people are thinking about it. The uh, awareness age is kind of upon us. Mm -hmm. um, we can use an IAQ monitor and see the air quality in real time. 
uh, 10 years ago, that wasn't possible. And right. I think when people become educated as to what is in the air we breathe, they'll also become aware of the need to do something about it. And I think that's that's kind of where we are. So is it easier today, this is kind of a loaded question, and I'm sure I know the answer of it. It's easier today to measure indoor air quality than it was, let's say, even five, 10 years ago. Is that accurate? Much, much easier. It's, it's very accurate. I mean, I'll even show you like a little sensor I have here. Mm -hmm. I can get it on the camera. You can all see that well. Um, yep. Here's a sensor that's, you know, a fairly affordable sensor. It's usually used commercially, but it could be some for someone's residence also. It's kind of showing you the state of the relevant uh, readings of air quality, but it's also showing you in those big numbers on the screen, a uh, difference between the outdoor air and the indoor air. Nice. And uh, of course, what you're seeing here is exactly what we always hope to achieve is that that outdoor air is, you know, kind of okay. And mm -hmm. uh, I've seen this go into really colorful uh, spectrums <laughs> this past week uh, with uh, some really high numbers on the outdoor. Did you see a lot of it where you're at? So you're in Connecticut, right? Yes. I mean, yeah. we had some very dramatic days uh, last mm -hmm. week here in Connecticut, um, days when actually you went outside and it smelled burning like an incinerator. So I saw on your monitor, and for those listening, Tony just put up a monitor which had several different readings on it. One of them was a number that I'm assuming equates to the air quality, which showed it's nine as good. Is that the indoor or outdoor air? Nine is my indoor air, okay. which is, is good. What is the outdoor air showing right now? 61, which is actually, it's a fairly good day. It's considered moderate. Now, what was it showing during the, the fires? I had gotten remember? up to 350. Wow. On the outdoor okay. during the fires. Okay. And actually, the indoor rose a bit. But sure, yeah, much to my, my happiness, it didn't never rose above 100. It stayed in that single, you know, the double-digit numbers. Mm -hmm. um, so what I was breathing inside was lots better than what I'd be exposed to outside. Yeah, for sure. So help me with this. So here's where I'm a little confused. I was just asking my, so I live up here kind of in like la la land. Like we're up here in the mountains. I have a office where I can open a window and there's fresh air that comes in all the time. So it's really nice here. So I don't see a lot of the stuff that you would see like in a big city. Okay. So in today's building, commercial building, let's say I'll use New York city as an example. Cause I know that was all in the news. You have a, a high rise facility are you required to measure the indoor air quality inside? Right now, there's no requirement. Mm -hmm. However, that's something that's actually uh, going to be coming of age pretty soon. Um, now, there are different standards that actually, I, I should take that back, that do require measurement. Mm -hmm. If you're a uh, lead-rated building, the USGBC in their the standard building, yeah. requires mm -hmm. monitoring. Uh, if you're familiar with the well health and safety seal, the well standard. That also requires air monitoring. Um, one of the things that I'm trying to spearhead in uh, in uh, within ASHRAE for people that are familiar with with ASHRAE, mm -hmm. I, I'm very uh, very active in many ASHRAE committees. But I'm actually starting a committee that's going to be looking at how to properly design an air monitoring system, and also what constitutes a quality air quality monitor. What's the performance mm. of those systems? I think that's very important. Um, there are lots of monitors that are honestly not very accurate. Yep. Um, there are lots of folks that really don't know where you should place a monitor, how many you should have per different footprint. And so you'll get numbers that don't really represent what's actually happening. So I think guidance is needed. And, you know, in engineering, the guidance mechanism is always ASHRAE.
Yeah, I know. I know. Like when I'm on a job and, and you know, I, I, when I'm on a job measuring something, usually it's just like one of the properties of air, like temperature, relative humidity. But I know when I'm there measuring that, if there's five guys there with a, you know, some sort of device to measure that we're all over the place. <laughs> we're all sure. over the place. And we kind of, we look at the outliers and then we take the three that are closer and then we use the average of that as the, and so I, I understand what you're saying because the different, you know, monitors have different quality. And then, you know, the other thing is you may have a, a monitoring system that's not been touched for a couple of years and, and is it even working anymore? Is it accurate? So maintenance is super important mm-hmm. on those things as well. So, yeah, I think that would be great if Ashray had kind of a standard of, you know, where to put them, you know, what makes a quality monitor, what they look for and stuff like that. So, um, yeah. And I, and I, and I, uh, you know, in many different ASHRAE uh, committees that I'm, I'm uh, participating in, you know, the performance rated metric is starting to gain a lot of momentum mm-hmm. versus the prescriptive rated metric, which has been traditionally what ASHRAE has built standards around prescribing what to do. Mm-hmm. So now it's about measuring what's happening and adjusting. Um, that's where I think monitoring is going to come into play. I think that's going to affect how you uh, how you uh, engineer and design air cleaning systems when you're actively monitoring as well. Systems that need to be dynamic and adjustable versus static. So the so just so I understand and our listeners, we're talking about the prescriptive method would be like the ventilation rate procedure. So many CFM of outdoor air per square foot per person. There's all kinds of different variables in there, and then the um, measurement method, did you say, would be the IAQ method? Yes, exactly. It's called the IAQ procedure mm-hmm. in, in the ASHRAE 62 standard that uh, you're talking about. But basically, it's the engineered approach. Um, right. IMC recognizes it too in, in section 403.2. And basically, that's when you understand your indoor environment, you design an air cleaning system that can um, address what are the contaminants that might be typical to that environment? Mm-hmm. And then you have a way to kind of measure your successful outcome. So when you put those things together, you really now are starting to build a performance-based system and not a prescriptive-based system. And quite frankly, as we all know, buildings don't stay the same. People don't stay the same. Mm-hmm. Everything changes. I mean, look at the dramatic changes that happened during the pandemic. Um, right, right. Changes occur. You need to have systems that can monitor, monitor, and also be able to adapt to the changing conditions, and and that's where I think we all need to be with our buildings. So the performance-based method or the IQ procedure, generally, that will require less ventilation of outdoor air. Is that correct? Is that a correct statement? Or yes, it is. I mean, it okay. it, it it varies. It depends on why you're using it. But many times, yes, you can bring in less outside air than that straight prescriptive method. And what's the biggest challenge? Obviously, if you're if someone's new in the industry and they're listening, they'll be like, well, why wouldn't we do that all the time, right? So what's the biggest challenge in, in doing that? And that's another loaded question. I think I know the answer to this one, too, but go ahead. Sure, sure. I mean, some of it's education. Mm-hmm. Sometimes a lot of engineers really aren't aware of the uh, performance phase approach versus prescriptive. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is adoption. And one of the problems with adoption of the IQ procedure on a wider scale is it's very complicated. There's Mm. lots of calculations and mass balance equations you need to perform. You kind of get a mechanical engineer out of his comfort zone. You know, they're used to, you know, loads and set points and things of that nature. They're not used to thinking about levels of toluene or PM 2.5. Now, one of the things my company's done, and really 
quality providers will do is build calculators. Mm -hmm. So we go to an engineer and they want to use the IQ procedure, which we highly recommend because the engineering approach is more precise. Mm -hmm. um, we'll hand them a tool. We've built in all the mass balance equation calculations that ASHRAE calls for. So that way they can easily perform the calculations, use it as part of their design that could go into their ventilation requirements, and then realize lowered outside air. It can have very uh, long legs when it comes to your equipment sizing, your operating costs. There's many different advantages as well as better air quality. Yeah, and we were talking about, um, I think it was last week, were we talking about the effects of uh, energy savings and decarbonization and how all that linked together. You want to talk a little bit about that, Tony? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, decarbonization is on the top of everyone's mind. It's been mm -hmm. a theme in ASHRAE this past year. Um, we all know that in a lot of commercial buildings, you cannot buy energy from a renewable source, at least in all the energy that you need. Certainly natural gas is not renewable. Mm -hmm. um, most electrical uh, supply is not from a renewable source. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, you have to add to your carbon footprint in order to run that building and bring everything to comfort. Um, the biggest factor in HVAC energy in a building is the outdoor air. You mm -hmm. bring in air that's unconditioned and you have to bring it to comfort. So when you can reduce that outdoor air, you're actually doing something that affects the biggest user of energy in the building. And if you want to kind of make the pie a little bigger... Mm -hmm. Biggest energy of uh, biggest user of energy throughout the country are commercial buildings. So by enabling this procedure, by adopting good air cleaning, so now you can recirculate clean air throughout the building, you can save sometimes pretty significant energy, but then reduce your carbon footprint, and that's what decarbonization is all about. Right, right. So it all kind of ties in. So. Before we talk about the like the physical solutions, right? Like we're talking about, um, you know, now we have the ability or the technology to get, achieve accurate measurements easily of the indoor air quality, which we didn't really have. It was difficult to do before. We've got models to use the IQ procedure to reduce the OE. What is it in the air that we're trying to get rid of? Well, first of all, before we talk about that, like smoke, what is it in smoke that is bad? What are we trying to actually remove? Because we talked about that a minute mm -hmm. ago, the wildfires. Well, smoke is a collection of very small particles. Mm -hmm. So you have, uh, and I'll, I'll go into some acronyms here, but you have a particle that's called PM 2.5. Mm -hmm. So to just give you an idea of what that is, uh, two P PM 2.5 is 2.5 microns. A micron is one twenty-five thousandth of an inch. So you imagine how small that it's is. It's pretty small. I mean, if you took your pluck the hair out, a PM 2.5 would be a tiny little bubble on that hair. Wow. Um, so these are microscopic particles. Um, also within wildfire smoke, there are particles much smaller than that PM 2.5. Um, that's part of what happens when smoke is in the air. Mm -hmm. And when you start to see it, it's because enough of these particles have concentrated so much that they become visible. So I can see, from a reference standpoint, pollen, I can see. Mm -hmm. What is that PM number for pollen? That's a big particle. So That's a huge particle that's easily filtered, right? Yeah, I mean, it's probably 10 microns or more in a, gotcha. in a pollen. That, I mean, think of another thing, too, that I think everybody's experienced. You look out that window at an angle uh, indoors when the sun is beaming through and you see that stuff floating in the air. 
mm-hmm. um, which you don't want to see. Um, but uh, those are bigger particles. Those are things gotcha. that are larger than 10 microns. You're not going to see the PM2.5. Um, the other part, though, of wildfire smoke and many things are gases, volatile mm-hmm. organic compounds. There right. could be things like formaldehyde and other things that, again, can have very unpleasant effects, can be toxic if they're high enough concentrations. But at the very least, they're irritating. So that's why smoke odor bothers you because of the VOCs. Mm-hmm. And the particles is what kind of can get down in your lungs and really irritate your respiratory system. And we've got, you know, I'll, I'll use the term off-gassing of VOCs from all the things that make up a building, right? All the construction material, the paints, the glues, everything. And that doesn't, I don't think, go away after the building's open for six months. You know, that still kind of lingers around. So there's, you know, yep. there's the smoke. We talked about that, the gases, the off-gassing of um, the materials in the building and of people. People mm-hmm. have things coming out of them as well. We um, unfortunately do. We do. <laughs> <laughs> Some more than others, you know, <laughs> but, uh, you know, depending on what's going on in the day, but, you know, we have that. And then we have the other thing, which we didn't talk a lot about because, you know, it hasn't been in the news much lately, but the, you know, the viruses, the pandemics and things like that. And that's another one of those things where it comes up a lot. People pay a lot of attention to it. Then it kind of goes away. So what, where does that fall on the uh, spectrum of, you know, sizes and challenges and uh, importance in IEQ? Well, certainly when you're looking at your air cleaning strategy, you have to think about what I call active and passive. So if you look at uh, something like filters, they're a passive strategy. They say, bring air to me with contaminants. I'm going to grab those contaminants. And what I'm going to do is dilute the air in the space with cleaner air. And filters work very well and passive strategies are important. Mm -hmm. But then you have Act, the need for active strategies. So think about what goes on in a space. So let's say I don't feel well, I'm coughing or I sneeze. These droplets fly out of my mouth and form a huge cloud. Mm-hmm. Um, now you're maybe a few cubicles down or an office over. Well, that cloud, which can be PM 2.5 or less, can kind of stay in the air pretty well for a long period of time until it reaches you. You breathe in the cloud. Now suddenly you don't feel well. Mm. That's how you know the coronavirus spread so effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you do about that? Because that cloud is probably not going to get to the filter before it gets to you. And that's where you know technology like the atmosphere bipolar ionization comes into play. When you put an active element in the space, like air ions, they can get to the cloud actively. They're getting mm-hmm. to the contaminant where it's coming from and not trying to deliver the contaminant to the device. And really, you need both if you're really... You, you need know, both, you right, right. So you're getting it where it's at. You're going You're going to it then, then having it come to you, or a little bit of both, probably. So, <laughs> yeah, so there's all kinds of technologies. So we talked about monitoring there. So we know where we're at as far as our indoor air quality, if we're monitoring it properly. Then the next question is, how do we design a system to, to take care of that? So I would like you to talk... Um, you know, we could talk about all different types of technologies, but so Tony um, works for Atmosphere and they they focus on bipolar ionization. So I would like, let's talk a little bit about that, especially for people who aren't familiar with it. What is an ion? Why do we make them? Why do we put them in the space? And, and what do they do? Mm-hmm. Very good, very good topics. Um, ions, first of all, are, are in nature. Um, things like uh, lightning storms, uh, radiation, sunlight, Uh, Think about the energy of like the surf pounding down Mm -hmm. on the air. 
all those energies cause the production of air ions. An air ion is basically a, um, a molecule that has gained or lost an electron. And when that happens, it becomes either a positive or negative ion. But it takes like a neutral, unreactive element like oxygen and turns it into something that's active, that wants to kind of react and integrate with other things around it. That's kind of the core of the atmosphere technology. So right. a charged okay. particle. Exactly, exactly. Right. And, and we're just basically, with our technology, trying to replicate what you might find if, let's say, you were in a mountain area. Or mm -hmm. if you were out of the city, far away, deep into the forest, those ion levels are much, much higher. And you could read an ion level, right? Yeah, exactly. There what is it? Is that just a little handheld device you would take up to the top of the mountain and read it? Is it pretty simple? or? Well, geek that I am. Uh, <laughs> some years back, uh, <laughs> when uh, my son used to play uh, ice hockey, mm -hmm. um, he got to play up at Lake Placid, where the Olympics happened. Yeah, sure. And, you know, when you go Beautiful. there, you could take a ride. You can get up to the top of Whiteface Mountain. It's kind of cool. So I said, hmm, I wonder if the ions really are higher up here. Oh, man. So that's that's Nerdy Dad 101 right there when you pull well, up the ion you, reader. You, know, you, you, you can't help yourself. <laughs> I right? know, right? I know it. I know so, it. Um, so I did. I took it on the ride. I was watching the ion level. Everybody thought I was kind of crazy or I had a bomb or something. Right. Um, but uh, I could see as we started to climb the ion level down in the village, which again is a clean area, which probably was around it's a thousand. Beautiful, yeah. Mm -hmm. As I got to the top of Whiteface Mountain, it was about four thousand ions. Wow. So when we start we started leaving man and man-made pollution. Nature put that cleaning uh, uh, technology in place. And so very simply, atmosphere says if I could repli replicate this in the space you breathe in, it'll increase it'll improve the air quality around you. Like again. If you were outdoors in a very natural, pristine environment, mm -hmm. most people don't get sick in that type of environment. Nice. That's why. Is that why I like skiing so much? Or is it just because I get to get away from work for a little bit? I don't know. Uh, it's probably a little bit of both. <laughs> <laughs> and the beach, right? Yeah, there you go. Um, you know, and sometimes the sea or the beach can be very nice, but that's another topic. Right, right. So ions naturally occurring charged particles. That's the way I like to kind of think about them in my brain. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so we, how do we make an ion, how do we simulate the ion experience? Like, how do we make them and put them into a, into a building? Sure. Um, our technology uses a tube, which almost looks like a little missile. Mm -hmm. And we add energy. Got like a metal grid around it? Yeah, it has a screen around yeah. it, and it's mm -hmm. a tube-like uh, structure. It comes in different lengths and different sizes and different arrays, because we're always trying to size to the supply CFM of that space. Um, the engineer did a good job to make sure they can get conditioned air all throughout that space. So we say, mm -hmm. let's let's take advantage of that and saturate that condition there with ions and really bring that ion level up where you breathe. Um, so it's in the supply duct. In the supply duct, gotcha. it uses you know voltage that again causes. Uh, and I'm going to get a little geeky here, so I apologize. Um, a dielectric barrier discharge. Or think of us as having a controlled lightning storm. Mm, and yeah. then all those great air ions that we get when the oxygen and the air around that supply air comes through and that energy that we make causes those air ions just like nature does. And we take the indoor space, which again is depleted to next to nothing because we have 
our cities, which depleted the ion level. And then we do lots of stuff in our spaces with, uh, as you mentioned, off-gassing of many materials. And we ourselves are dust makers and VOC makers. So we have more people. We have higher contaminants, some more than others. Um, but at any rate, um, we bring that level back up. And that produces natural effects that reduce particles, reduce volatile organic compounds, and reduce microbials like bacteria, viruses, and, and molds. How does it do that? Okay, this uh, I'll try to keep this as you know less scientific as I can. Sure. Um, we cause particles to become attracted to other power particles. It's called agglomeration. Right. They get bigger and they get heavier. When that happens, one of two things occurs. Lots of particles, and think about that cloud of, uh, of uh, viral particles we talked about, may come from the ground up. They may get into that four, the seven-foot breathing area where we live, and they may never come out of that air. They might not ever get to the filter. They're suspended. Suspended. And, They're suspended, um, right. So, And when they drop out, it's not like this is a microscopic thing, right? You don't have to go around and sweep up your no, smoke no, particles no. or anything, right? You can't even see it. If you're seeing dust collecting, you have bigger problems than air quality. <laughs> um, but uh, but at any rate, those bigger, heavier particles drop much more rapidly to the floor. But then the ions, in a natural way, work on inactivating them. So let's think mm. about that virus, for instance. Um, yep. Viruses are not alive in the air. When you breathe them into your body and they get into your cells, they come to life and they reproduce, and that's what's called infection. You become mm -hmm. infected. When the ions find that uh, that viral particle, in addition to agglomerating it out of the air, they pierce little holes in the protective membrane. Remember those spikes you saw all over the ball when they showed those graphics for oh, years? The COVID virus, the coronavirus? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Those spikes are protein. They protect the organism. Many viruses are exactly like that. When they do that, the organism loses its reproductive ability. Mm -hmm. So let's take the coronavirus. Um, it's in the air. It's been pierced in that manner. You breathe it in. Well, now it can't reproduce, so it can't infect. So that's what. So it renders it unable to harm you, basically. You call it neutralized. Neutralized, yeah. Disinfected, sanitized. There's lots gotcha. of words for that. Um, but that's what the ionization effect does. So particles get taken out of the air, and, and you know. In addition to viral particles, the smoke particles, the dust particles, the things that can irritate people, that can cause allergic reactions, that can cause that scratchy throat or that those itchy eyes, those are taken away from where we breathe actively in the mm -hmm. space where they're being generated. Um, those VOCs, those gaseous contaminants are really chains of hydrocarbons. The ion breaks the hydrocarbon chain. It might do it many times, thousands mm -hmm. of reactions. Um, but what results is immeasurable amounts of carbon dioxide and water vapor. Mm. Things are inert. Things are not irritating. Things are really harmless to people. Um, and, of course, I mentioned all the microbial effect, and, and that holds true for bacteria and molds as well. When they can't reproduce, they don't spread, and they shrink away. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that atmosphere is always we've always prided ourselves on is we're a testing company. Um, that was going to be my next question. Like this is all sounds good on a whiteboard or a chalk. We used to call it chalkboard, but you know, how do you test? How do you know it's doing what you 
what you're thinking it's going to do. Like, how do we know that? That was my first question. You know, my background is, is, is in air testing. I've done for many years field air mm -hmm. testing, environmental analysis, and all sorts of applications. And I came across this technology, which was very prevalent in Europe for many, many, many years. That was my first question. Sounds great. Does it work? So right. I took it out to all my problematic uh, uh, applications that I knew of, mm -hmm. places that had active mold growing, bacterial problems, uh, odor complaints. And I could see for myself, not uh, with the nose, which you can notice, but with the dials and the gauges, I could see the monitoring. improvement. Exactly. Right. Um, and then, of course, you take it a step further. You take it to laboratories. You perform mm -hmm. controlled tests where all the variables are kind of eliminated except for the uh, the uh, the environment with or without your technology, and that's what we've done. And and what I'm also proud of the fact is that we've always tested to uh, standardized test methods, not a customized method. We didn't tell the laboratory, "Hey, test my product just like this," because I kind of feel like I'm going to get a good result. Right. We said to the laboratory, "Here's my product. How would you test it?" And they'd say, "Well, for it to be relevant, we need to test to this standard because that's what the EPA rec would recognize." Mm -hmm. Or that's what uh, an ashtray would recognize or things of that nature. And that's how we test it. And with, you know, outstanding results, we're in uh, coronavirus, just to pick one, we were 99.92% effective. Measured, um, verified results. Exactly. By an independent lab. Again, according to a protocol, they would use to test a sanitizing product that you might use as a household cleaner. Mm -hmm. Nice. And so... If you were to have, I, I had a question kind of pop in my head as you were explaining that. So if you were in the wildfire scenario and you had, you know, the BPI installed, atmosphere installed, and you were monitoring the outside air, you saw the outside air was starting to climb up to those, you know, 350, 400, 500, 600 levels. Do you, do buildings take action to turn off the outside air in those scenarios or do they just keep going or, or is it all over the place? Is it all different, Tony? Fortunately, I would say it's the last one. It's kind of all over the place. Mm -hmm. um, now, for customers that are using our technology, there's a lot of different tools that they can use. Number one, of course, you have the awareness. If you see the air quality starting to, uh, to decay, well, you can take action. You can close your outside air dampers. You can slow down some fan speeds. Um, our technology is very unique in the fact that ionization technology can be adjusted. I can raise or lower the ion intensity by adding more or less energy to my device. Mm -hmm. Very different from a filter that can only kind of do what it's designed to do. A uh, uh, MERV 13 filter can't become a MERV 15 filter because you need more. Mm -hmm. it, it is what it is. Um, we have systems now where we take sensors that are integrated with our system that have an algorithm built in that says, hey, if the air quality is getting worse, we're going to dial up the ion intensity so we can kind of make sure we keep that ion saturation. Mm -hmm. And so many of our buildings that are using these systems, they have an advantage in that they have air purification that can be increased on demand and also an awareness of other things they could do in the building to kind of shield themselves from these sort of situations. I love it. I, I love the idea of actually measuring it and knowing what you're dealing with, right? It's like... You know, before I felt like you, you, well, I would feel like I'm trying to solve a problem without knowing the problem if I haven't measured anything yet. 
You, you ever had that experience? <laughs> I well, no. I use that expression all the time. How can you solve a problem when you don't even know the question? You don't even know what the right. You don't even know what's going on. So, yeah. and uh, I, I could tell you another thing that uh, this is a, in a presentation I built a, a mm-hmm. statistic that I found kind of startling. Eighty-six percent of the world's population has a smartphone. That's mm-hmm. not too startling. Everybody has a smartphone, right? We're carrying a computer in our pockets all the time. We're aware of a million things because of that. But only 10% of commercial buildings have a essentially automated building control system. Wow. Now you think about that, 90% of the buildings are just kind of hoping for a result. Right, right. Um, so one of the things I think we have to do in uh, in our designs, in our building, is use technology, use automation, use all these tools that are available and kind of bring them into the to the to the modern age and 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 kind of you know do stuff that can make people safer and healthier in buildings. It's it's all there, just needs to be adopted. I love it. That sounds like a great way to end it. And Tony, we thank you so much for joining us today. And we hope to have you back soon. Will you come back soon and talk to us some more? Absolutely, Tony. As I said, I could talk about this endlessly, but thank you. I appreciate it. And, and, and uh, I appreciate the audience as well. Great. Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Okay. We want to thank you again for listening today and supporting the Engineers HVAC podcast. If you know anyone who might enjoy this podcast, please share it. We would greatly appreciate it. And again, thanks so much for joining us and we hope you have a great day.